Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast. I am here today with my <clears throat> longtime but long missing co-host, Andy. She blinded me with refractors on YouTube and one of my great hobby friends. We are going to talk today about the National Andy. Does that sound like fun? That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. I want to apologize first to everybody. Uh, it's been several weeks since I did my last podcast, and that was because I was just so busy leading up to the national, and I wanted to make sure I did this show justice. And a lot of guys that I wanted to talk to were also very busy, so it just made for, hey, I'll just take a self-imposed couple of week break, but we're back. Hopefully, going to be starting to do episodes again on a regular basis, and maybe I can convince Andy to come join on every once in a while as we keep moving forward. I missed you, Andy. What can I say? Yeah, it's it's good to be back. And uh, to your point about, you know, being off for a couple of weeks, it's, you know, it's good to take a break from time to time just to kind of refresh a little bit. And um, I think anybody that went to this show, even though you would think that you would need a break when you get back, you're just fired up to talk about stuff, right? Yeah, that's, I, I wanted to do this. We're recording this on the Monday after the national. And I think I've had just enough time and maybe you feel the same way to reflect on some things, but I also want to share my thoughts while they're still relatively fresh in my mind. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, the older we get, uh, the quicker it is to forget just how, just how great, um, this show in particular was, and it's just, yeah, it's just a great time, man. If you could use one word to describe the national, what would it be this year, 2021? Wild. I was going to use the word exhausting, but, but I... wild. And then I guess the other word I actually thought about was chaotic. Yeah. Those would be great superlatives to use to describe this year's national. Um, just what are your general thoughts about how it went in Chicago? General thoughts about your experience, the show, everything. Go. You only have 45 minutes. Go. Well, if you've seen um, some of my recap footage, it, you know, it took me an hour to, to go through everything so 45 minutes may not be long enough but that's I'll try. why i limited you that's why i was intentional about okay dude we've only got this is a 45 minute to an hour show so right so um the first thing and i think all of us expected this was the crowds right i mean it was um a lot more people than 
what we had seen at previous shows. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I think you'll, you'll get into some of these other things a little bit later. So I don't want to like spoil, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about, but the crowd, of course, um, the number of young people that were in attendance, that was like, I don't know what percentage the actual crowd as a whole was up at this show, but I would say the, the number of young people was up way higher percentage wise, even than the overall crowd. Um, a lot more diversity as far as, you know, males, females. Um, yeah, th those are just a couple of uh, quick things that pop into my head right off the bat. Um, what are some of the things that kind of, I guess, maybe surprised you a little bit? I expected the big crowds. I didn't expected I didn't expect it to feel as crowded as it did. If that makes sense, I expected big crowds, but it it felt really crowded. You know, just maneuvering around some of the tables was in, incredibly difficult. And for me, and and we're gonna focus this show on kind of the show from a vintage baseball collectors type perspective. So if you listen to this show, I'm going to be talking about the stuff that people who listen to this show like, I think. And it was just difficult to maneuver around. And at times, not all the time, for sure. But during those kind of what I'll, we'll call them prime times, you know, kind of after lunch, afternoons, it, it was difficult. And again, not surprised at the number of people, surprised at how crowded it felt. Then I would say I was surprised at the mass diversity of prices, even on singular cards. You could go <clears throat> from one end of that show to the other and see the same card, same grade prices all over the place in terms of what the sticker price was on the card. Yeah, there was, uh, you could really tell from, you know, your first walk throughout the show, you could really tell the dealers that were wanting to sell versus the ones that didn't mind taking their inventory home with them. Um, like you said, like, you know, just on a card, for instance, like, just for an example, like, let's just say like a, a PSA 5 Hank Aaron 54 Tops rookie. Like Mike said, you could go from one end of the show to the other, and there could be thousands of dollars difference in the price of that card. So that's why people always say for people heading to the national, never buy the first one you see because you're, you know, you're going to stuff like that, especially you're going to see several of them at the show. And the first one you see may be the highest priced one. So, yeah, you don't want to hop on that for sure. Well, a point I will make to every vintage collector out there, if you've been to the National before, or especially if you haven't, you can find pretty much every card there. It, it's difficult to have a card. Maybe not every. Well, that's probably not true. Just about every card you can think of from 1900 to throughout the vintage era of 1979, 1980, you can find it there. It's, are you going to find it at a price and a condition that you're comfortable buying that card, right? I mean, everything's there. There's thousands of 
vintage, I mean, the percentage of vintage to modern, right, is is way different. Um, do you want to touch on that first point or do you, uh, and then I'll move on to another comparison, but yeah, you know, that part is there. Yeah. Um, so I think, and the, the thing is most every card is there available, right? And the, the ones that there's always going to be exceptions to that, but let's be honest, the ones that aren't there, I mean, we couldn't afford those anyway. Right. So Good point. I mean, sure. You could say, oh, well, I didn't see this card, but I mean, could you really afford it if it was there? Probably not. So, yeah, um, there was, yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff there. Like, I, I can't remember just off the top of my head, like how many 52 tops mantles I saw, but it was probably, I don't know, man. What, what would you say? Like somewhere in the 10 range, maybe? That's kind of the ballpark I was thinking. I must have seen 30. If I Real. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I saw quite a few of them and they range yeah. right in condition, of course. Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably, there's probably a couple of tables that I'm not remembering that probably had several, right? Yeah. 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 There, everything's there in a spectrum of grades and kind of one, there's things to meet everybody at every level, whatever kind of collector level you're at. If you can't find it there and you're, you're, you're a kind of person that likes to buy in person, then you're not going to find it at any, <laughs> unlikely to find it at any show. Uh, and I like that. I like that there's that much to choose from. I like when, and I'll bring this up later, one of the key cards I was looking for was a 53 Bowman colored Mickey Mantle. And I found a bunch of them. I liked that there were a lot of them to choose from different dealers, different grades, different price levels because I that gives me the opportunity to bargain right and leverage yeah and so here's a question for you Mike um, you know how most every show will have like some sort of theme to it as far as like you know which players were hot at this particular show so was there was there a player a vintage player from this show that you just kind of felt there was maybe a little bit more buzz around than most others. I saw more mantle cards than anything, like super great mantle collections of people <clears throat> selling them. But I would say the cards that I got asked by my friends the most about to look at were Willie Mays cards. Okay. That's um, that's a good one there. And the that's one of the people that I was thinking of as well. And then the the one that I heard mentioned a lot at this show was Jackie Robinson. Yes. Um, it seemed like a lot of people were really looking for Jackie Robinson. But yeah, definitely, you know, your your normal people, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, um, you know, of course, Babe Ruth. Um, yeah, players like that. But I think Jackie Robinson seemed to be particularly uh, sought after at this show, just from what I had heard from people. Ironically, I'm if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing my Jackie Robinson t-shirt right now. So that seems appropriate. And I got a Jackie Robinson 50 Bowen card graded at the show by PSA. Uh, so yeah, Jackie Robinson is hot in the hobby. And the only thing I can say about that is it's about damn time. <laughs> uh, he has been, I think, long overlooked in the hobby. 
and he's getting some writers going, wow, this guy was pretty great, not just obviously as a baseball player, as a human being, and his impact on the game transcends a lot of time. And it's he, you can't deny Jackie's impact on baseball. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The Jackie thing. I, I saw a lot of Jackie Robinson cards and I saw a lot of dealers that were very proud of their Jackie Robinson cards and priced them accordingly. Of course. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you obviously had the one that you had picked up and got graded and I can think of at least one more, you know, guy that's kind of, you know, in our, our group of friends that picked up a Jackie at the show. I know several other people that were looking for them. Maybe, you know, maybe those uh, museum type prices that you're talking about may have prevented them from, from actually purchasing one. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of people that were intrigued with Jackie at this show. Yeah, and there's something else about this show that I think makes it unique. You and I have both attended probably the second largest show in the country, and that's the Dallas Card Show, especially in the last year or so. That's become the second national, the, the national's little brother, right? In terms of number of dealers, number of tables, number of people attending. And I would, I get a very different vibe in Chicago than I do in Dallas. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, um, like I said, from the top, uh, the crowd at this show was way younger than, I've ever seen during the times I've been to the national and the crowd at the Dallas show is a pretty young crowd as well. But yeah, there was way, way more vintage here at the national than what you see in Dallas. And I guess maybe you can attribute some of that to, um, you know, different, different types of dealers, I guess. A lot of these dealers that set up at the national, I feel like a lot of them, maybe this is the only show that they do each year and they've been doing it for a long time. So maybe that plays into it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Totally uh, agree with that. You've got a, a lot of dealers that do both shows for sure. Right. And, and other, they just do the show circuit, but in, I would say the Dallas, Right now, I feel like I'm getting. Yeah, you were, you were buffering there for a second, but you're good. Yeah, um, I feel like at the Dallas show, it's about 80% modern, 20% vintage. And I would say, I don't know that it's completely flipped at the national, but it's probably 60 vintage, 40 modern at least. And you've got these dealers that have been doing the national for 20 plus years. And that's, that's what they do. And it's a very interesting dynamic to see as you walk into the show and there's the, it's hard to describe it if you've never been there, but you've got the, the long-term dealers are on one end. And as you progress backwards through the, through the convention hall, you get to the guys with less tenure on the dealer list and their stuff tends, they tend to be younger dealers. They tend to be guys that have more modern. So I spent a lot of my time. It's not that they don't have vintage, in the newer area and that the new and that the older guys don't have modern but it's it's a it, it's this huge kind of just descent through cardboard history if you walk down the down the aisle towards the back where the newer dealers are 
And uh, that's inter an interesting dynamic that is relatively recent. I mean, we saw that some in 2019, but really here in 2021, it made a huge difference. I, I, you, could, you could see the discrepancy between the different types of dealers. You agree with that? Yeah. And uh, what I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the, uh, a lot of like, let's say the full-time dealers, the ones that, that travel to a lot of these shows, you know, the ones that are doing shows, you know, every couple of weeks or something throughout the country. I feel like those type of dealers, like even if they are primarily modern, they will tend to sprinkle in a little bit of vintage in their inventory. Whereas the older time dealers that maybe just do this show primarily, the ones that have been doing it for a long time, they if they do vintage, they don't they don't sprinkle in the modern with their stuff. They stick with primarily vintage. So I think that that may play a little bit into it because I think the the newer dealers, they at least will sprinkle a little bit of vintage in with the modern. Not all of them, but a lot of the better ones and bigger ones do for sure. Yeah. And they're smart to do that. Although yeah, it can be. That can be good if you're a buyer, right? Because these guys don't deal in vintage on a day-to-day -day basis. So you might be able, and they tend to be more flexible. The older dealers, quite frankly, like, look, we've all had this experience where you go to a car shop or a show and you see a car that's been there for, you know, since the dinosaurs roamed the earth in their case. And you're like, well, you're never going to move it because you're never going to price it right. Versus the guys, the newer dealers, they're all about turning over inventory and quick movements of cards. And so they they seemed to be more willing to deal. Um, let's just get into that part of the the conversation that I wanted to have with you about the national. I mean, we both admit prices were a all over the place, but generally I would say they were on the high end in terms of sticker price, right? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and I've said this in my videos about the recap, but I haven't said it to my podcast crew that's out there you know i didn't pay sticker on anything and andy can attest to this he was my roommate the whole week i bought a lot of stuff i probably bought from our friend group i probably bought more single items than than most of them for sure not that's not a bragging thing it's a it's a it's the fact that i had a lot of different interactions with dealers to buy cards and i didn't pay sticker for a single card in fact if they wouldn't move off sticker i moved on down the road I found them willing to negotiate, but the prices were already so high. Some of them, I just went, well, that's not even a chance because we're so far away from each other on where I would be willing to buy it and you would be willing to sell it. Yeah. And for, for everyone out there listening, uh, we kind of had a, a running joke in the room that Mike couldn't go an hour without buying an item. <laughs> and I'm not sure that we were too far off, Mike. I mean, I think... <laughs> Each hour, it seemed like you were picking up something. You know, it may not be like a big item, but you were picking up something almost hour by hour, right? I I made the most of my time. You definitely made the most of your time. And and I look, I'm not a buyer that just buys things to buy things. No, I'm a collector that's filling need. I should never say needs. That's never the right word. Wants in my collection. There's always something I'm looking to add to a project that I'm working on. So I, I, I have a long list, let's put it that way, of things that I'm looking for. And so <clears throat> what's great about that is I have a lot of things to look for. Um, 
But if you let's focus on one item that I did pick up, and that's the 53 Bowman color mantle. I ultimately bought a three. Very nice PSA three that I actually didn't find. And that's the other thing. You you can walk around that show for five days and you'll still not see everything. And the booth that I ultimately bought this card from, I had walked by half a dozen times and hadn't seen that card that I ended up buying. But the 53 mantle journey for me was the Bowman mantle. I didn't buy the tops. I, I still need the tops mantle. So if anyone out there wants to just send me one, that'd be great. But uh, I'm going to hold my breath for that. Yeah. The, the Bowman mantle, though, was something that I, I'm working on the 53 Bowman color Hall of Fame run. I still needed two cards. I needed the mantle and I needed the Duke Snyder. And I, I said, I'll worry about the Duke Snyder later. I really want to focus on the mantle because the Nationals are a great place to buy that big card. It's it's a great place to share that experience with your friends. It's a great uh, opportunity to flex isn't the right word because that's not true. It's just enjoy it with your friends. And I remember big cards that I bought in the past and who I was with at the National when I bought them, them and who helped me pick them out and discern between the different uh, copies that were out there. And I must have looked, Andy, I swear, man, I looked at 15 or 20 Bowman color mantles, all of which were overpriced relative, you know, because I was looking in the two to four range. That was what I felt comfortable paying. And I knew what those comped at. You know, that's a huge thing going into the show like that is if there's a big card you're looking for, you should know or have an idea at least of what you'd be willing to pay for a card in a certain grade. And look at this, at those grade levels, two, three, four, maybe you can speak about not all twos, threes, and fours are created equal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's, that's really important because especially when you get into like that lower to mid grade, the the eye appeal of the card can be vastly different like i mean there's there's some like there are some psa ones that may just have like a tiny pinhole or something and otherwise the card may look like a five or a six and then there's other ones that are ones that um i mean it's only a one because you can't grade it any lower right i mean it just like it's just looks like it's been in a kid's back pocket maybe you went through a washing machine I mean, all kinds of, it can have all kinds of flaws. And yeah, you, obviously if you're a dealer, you can't expect to get the same price for that one as the one that just has like this tiny little defect that's going to, you know, lower the technical grade of it. So, so what was your, what was your thought process and then ultimate decision making on picking the mantle that you did? Two things. I appeal, like you said, which again, I cannot stress enough Andy's point of how critical that is and doing that in person versus a scan on eBay or some other website is, is critically important. And I don't want to minimize that point. You're, you're absolutely right, Andy. And so I appeal and price were the biggest things to me. I would have taken a four and obviously would sell higher than a three if the relative to comp number was better than I could find on a nice three. If that makes any, if I'm, 
hopefully I'm explaining myself properly. Do you get what I mean? Like if the difference was. <clears throat> it's kind of like, um, is the juice worth the squeeze type of thing, you know, to go up that grade is the right. ideal of this one that much better to warrant the price difference basically. Yeah. And I'm willing to pay up for a very nice looking example of that grade. I'm willing to pay on the higher end of that spectrum of that, the, the prices on that grade. But I, I always want it below comps. And it's not because I'm going to flip the cards because this may sound silly. I like to leave feeling I got a good deal, right? At, at the end of the day, I want to feel like I made a good purchase there. And that if I died the next day, my wife could at least get her money back or make a little bit of coin on the on the card. Hopefully I'm not dying tomorrow, but I don't know that. So my process, I appeal in price, price relative to comps is probably the better way to put that. And so go to a dealer. I see you have a 53 mantle. What's your number on that is typically what I would ask. And most of them would... I, there was one I looked at, it was a four and he had it at 2,900 and those are really about 2,200. I'm like, but it was a nice four. Hey, would you do 2,200? No, I can't do that. You know, you get that all the time. No, that's, I can't do that. I love the, I, I have more into it than that. That always cracks me up because I think that's not my problem. <laughs> it's totally not. <laughs> I'm not going to pay for your mistakes of buying a card too high. You know, that, yeah. sorry. Um, but that's not what they're selling for. And, and a lot of times I'll show dealer comps and stuff. And sometimes they're amenable to that. Sometimes they are just look at it and like, like you're crazy. Like I'm not, I don't care what it says on there. This is what I'm selling it for. I'm like, okay. Um, it's really funny when you can do a buy it now for a price that's lower than there. Like I could literally go buy the card right then. And here's what they'll say. They'll say, Andy, they'll say, well, you don't have to pay taxes here. And I say, and I counter with, or, or shipping, right? Taxes and shipping. I'm like, well, right. you don't have to pay eBay fees either. So don't, don't give me that. It, ironically, the eBay fees are higher and a, and a better deal for the dealer than not paying taxes and shipping is for me. So they're actually a net win on that too. And look, it's too late. The national's over. We can't get into negotiating tactics, but this is just good food for thought for people as they're going to any show and trying to negotiate any deal are, are these things. But, you know, it's like, I'm, I don't know if they think all everybody in the hobby is new to the hobby, but like, man, this is not my first rodeo. You know, this was my fifth national. It was your 10th national. We know what we're doing in turn, and, and I'm just not going to overpay for a card just because the dealer thinks I should for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of that, a lot of, hey, I'll give you this. No. Um, it's funny. There was one I was about to buy. Josh Rated Rookie was with me, and I was about to buy one. And then I got a text from another friend, JT. Hey, I found that. Have you bought one yet? No, I haven't. And again, this is a half a day, which at the national show time is precious time. Floor time is precious time. There's only so much of it. And so I try to be as efficient as I can. And uh, so half a day looking for one card 
is a lot. So that was a time when, no, I probably picked up a few things along the way, Andy, just to keep the hour thing going. I know. Uh, you did. <laughs> yeah. I probably, you know, you get distracted. It's like squirrel, squirrel. Oh, there's a cool card. There's a cool card. And you can't help but get distracted sometimes. But I was trying to stay focused. And, and JT was like, stay focused, stay focused. And he was telling me that and he was helping me look. He's like, we're going to go find you a mantle. Like he's like, we're going. And then Josh was with me and I almost bought one in a four. I, I can't remember the particulars of what his price was, what my price was. I think it was around four. No, it was, wasn't a four. I'm sorry. It was another three, but it wasn't a nice looking three. And it was like 1400 bucks he was willing to go to. And I, I really just, oh, I was really struggling. It wasn't crazy out of comps, but it wasn't, it wasn't a deal in any way, shape or form. I was, I was paying fair market value for the card, which you might out there say, well, why wouldn't you pay fair market value for a card? If that's the, again, I want a deal. Like I'm, I'll wait for a deal. I'm very patient. It's the long game, right? So anyway, JT found one, the guy had it for 1250. It was a very nice looking three and I ended up paying 1200. I didn't need to negotiate a lot because I was already below comps and it was a, what I would consider to be at least upper half of the threes that are out there. Um, from the stuff, certainly from the stuff I had seen and the examples I had available to me in Chicago. So I bought it, I bought it and, uh, happy was thrilled to add it. And that's the thing. If you get to the next day and you're not happy that you bought that card, you probably made a bad decision that buyer's remorse is real in cardboard, just like it is in buying a car or anything else. No, uh, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you're not happy the next day that, man, I'm so glad I picked up that card. Then you need to keep, keep searching, you know, and, or if the next day, if you didn't buy it and the next day you're really kicking yourself that you didn't go buy it. We had a friend of ours wanting to buy a 52 mantle and I'll, I'll keep his name out of it, but, uh, he went back to buy a card and it was gone because it was a good deal and he didn't jump on it. And that's always the struggle, right? It's this balancing act of act now or act later. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's an easy dance to do, but we all struggle with that. Right, Andy? No, I mean, it's, I don't know how many times throughout the years I've, um, you know, like you talk about be patient, right? I have the, I have the opposite end of the problem at times. Like sometimes I feel like I'm too patient. And so a lot of times when you're, when you're too patient, you can overthink it. And then by the time you finally get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm doing it. it yeah. It's gone. Right. Somebody else acted quicker. I mean, so there is, there is this balancing act, you know, between being patient and then, you know, just, almost procrastinating, you know, being too patient a little bit. So yeah, I've, I've dealt with that for sure. Um, but you got the mantle, you're happy with it. You got a great deal, I think. Um, so all is good, right? Yeah. And it's funny how <laughs> one example that I just, I can't believe I <clears throat> was just walking by a table and looked down. The guy didn't have much stuff in his showcase and there was a 51 Bowman George Kell sitting there and I look at my, I think like, I think I need the George Kell for the 51 Bowman run. Sure enough, I did. It was a very nice PSA four and he had it listed for 15 bucks. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I just spent, and this was not long either after or before, maybe before I bought the mantle, but I was, I had this mantle price in my, and how much I was going to be spending on this mantle and of my budget. And, uh, it was kind of weighing on me and I, I see this card. I'm like, why can't I just find more cards like this? Cause it was $15 <laughs> was the list. I offered the guy 10 just because, because again, I told you I refused to pay sticker for anything. Although that would have been a great deal at 15 bucks. I mean, shoot, how much does it cost to even grade a card nowadays? Right. Uh, so he took $10. He said, sure. And I was like, Oh, that was the best. That was my favorite pickup of the show, which sounds mm -hmm. silly. You got all these great cards. What's that? That was easy purchase, right? It was easy and it was cheap. Um, I don't mean bad cheap, inexpensive. It was right. a it was a great ten dollars to spend because I got a great vintage card for a great price. And again, I just wish there was I, I didn't find a lot of that. I have found a lot of that at previous shows really super good deals those were much much harder to come by the other point i wanted to make and you can certainly attest to this is the deals were there like people were the dealers hard yes were prices high yes but if you looked hard enough and that's some people don't have the like you said you're, you're sometimes too patient i think most collectors are not patient enough I was, but if you looked hard enough, my point is you can find the deals. I was talking to a guy in the line at PSA going to pick up the two cards that I got graded on site, which by the way, were a 48 Bowman Musual, which got a PSA four and a 50 Bowman Jackie Robinson, which got a PSA two and a half. I did well on those cards, given what I paid for them raw cost of grading, even at $250 a card, well, well worth it to get those cards back immediately. It was great. So. I get that people think that's nuts and, and you're entitled to that opinion. I was thrilled to death, but there was a guy in the, in the line and he was asking me, we were just talking about the show. He's doesn't follow YouTube or, or podcasts or anything. He doesn't know who I am, which is 99% of everyone in America. But he was, uh, talking about, man, I found some good deals and I, I haven't mind paying sticker. And I'm like, I did the old, if you're paying sticker, you're the sucker line to him. And it wasn't to be insulting. It was to be, you have the leverage, you have cash. He has a card or she, the dealer has a card that they're trying to move. You have, believe it or not, you have more leverage than you think. And I think we think that we can't be that way, that, that it's insulting or, you know, whatever. Do, these guys do this all the time. I don't, I don't, I think it'd be hard to insult most dealers. They're, they're pretty thick skinned. And you can just walk away. And I said, hey, walk away. If you don't find it, they're not, whatever you find is not rare. It's out there. You can find it unless it's a one of one or a super low numbered card. You can find it again. And he found me. Uh, we ran into each other on our, my, our last day of the show, which was Saturday. And I had talked to him on Thursday. And he said, oh my gosh, you are so right. You were so right. I didn't know I had that much power to be able to negotiate offer offers. And then how many times after you said it, I found cards that I was looking for that I found over and over again, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to these things. It was fascinating to see that play out that way. 
a the fact that i even found that guy or that he found me and we ran into each other in the sea of humanity that was at the national was in and of itself a miracle and then for him to point out those things again none of this is brick to the forehead stuff right it's all pretty common sense things but in the moment we get what what happens to us andy we get all emotional we get all excited and I mean, like a perfect example of what you just said was the George Kell you were talking about. You know, you see that card, $15 is a good deal on it, right? But why pay 15 if you can ask him if he'll take 10 and he will? I mean, the worst he can say is no, and then you right. pay 15. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's <laughs> a card I paid sticker for, for sure. No doubt. Right. I mean, if it's a great deal, why not make it better if you can? I mean, there's no need to pay more than you have to. That's that's the point, I think. <laughs> yeah. And again, don't have the confidence to ask, I think is what both Andy and I are saying. Don't be afraid to ask. Uh, they're not going to get pissed at you or anything there. Uh, again, they do this probably all the time. Well, and I think that that's, that's something that's um, that's something that, you know, you gain that confidence dealing with dealers with experience because you brought up earlier that sometimes, you know, they will tell you, oh, I can't do that. And my line to them is always, you can do it. You just won't. <laughs> great. That's a great point. Of course, you can. of course you can do it. Nobody's stopping you from doing it. As our, so, great yeah, friend Eric says, as our great friend Eric says, we're offering cash money for cardboard. They can choose to take it and, and every dealer has the right to sell every card they want for whatever price or to offer for sale every card they want at whatever price they want and we have the opportunity to say yes or no and so true it's uh it, it's a fun dance it, it gets to be tiring honestly especially at a show like that where dealers were much less willing to negotiate but i want to bring up another point that people can do at a show to potentially get better deals. So put this in your little uh, Rolodex of, of things. If you talk to a dealer and you're telling them about a card that you're eyeballing, telling them why you want to own it can really grease the wheels to a good deal. I have found, and I found this at this show, there was a dealer, his show, his table was called the Polo Grounds. So if anybody out there went to the Polo Grounds, it was a, older man and his wife hey, the um, and uh, oh, I'm getting told my dinner's ready as oh. which oh, is great. Good. Do that later that sounds good <laughs> yeah I'm french fries and pulled pork you're missing out Andy you, you went home a couple days too early <laughs> now I'm hungry <laughs> come on down uh, no um, but these this couple and I went around I was eyeballing some cards hey what about this 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 and he said those are really great cards and they were he had some amazing stuff in his showcases and i first of all showing knowledge of what you're buying that you kind of know this stuff too ingratiates you to the to the dealer being able to share a story about a player or, or what they meant to you or maybe your dad or or whatever and the last thing i'm telling anyone to do is lie do not lie i think that is incredibly misleading and unethical but I was telling him about my four decade set and he couldn't believe that I was doing this project. And I pull out my binder. I had a binder with all the four decades and I'm showing him, look at all these cards I already have. And, oh, I need that one. And I need that one. And he saw that it was going 
A, I think to a really good home. He said that specifically, these are going to a great home, I can tell. And he said, I really want to help you along in your quest to finish this project. So he gave me very, very fair deals. Um, there were actually a couple of cards that were way below his sticker price, but actually above comps because they were such nice looking examples. Some 53 tops cards that I bought from him, a couple of or a Clemente that I bought from him uh, that I was eyeballing. I was trying to complete my Clemente run and I was telling him about that. Oh man, this is the last, it was the 63 tops Clemente. I, this is the last one I need to finish my, I'll have every Clemente card. Dealers want to help. It's, we think they're not human and they are. We think they're these, you know, pricing robots that are just dictator dictatorial about their cards. And he couldn't have been more eager to see these cards. He's like, what, are there, is there anything else you need? Like, like not genuinely trying to make a sale, but genuinely trying to help me work towards my quest. I just thought that was so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's just, um, just striking up a conversation with dealers, just being nice to them. I mean, cause you know, they're, like you said, they're people too. So we, you know, we expect them to respect us and be nice to us. And I feel like, you know, we should do the same because, um, you know, they get, they get treated poorly a lot by, you know, potential customers, you know, they get told, oh, that's, that's terrible, pro you know, so they, they hear that stuff all day. So it's refreshing when somebody comes up and it's just nice to them, you know, ask yeah. some questions and, you know, have a good conversation. Have you had experiences with that where that has helped you get a better deal on a card? Absolutely. Like, you know, if you're if you're a huge fan of a particular player, set, team, whatever it might be, and uh, you know, you strike up a conversation with them about that, that like you said, they want that card to go to somebody that's truly going to enjoy it. The last thing they want to see is their card, you know, a few tables down from them at a higher price. That's what they don't they don't want that. They don't want to give you a good deal so you can make money off of it. They want to give you a good deal because you're going to enjoy the card. 100%. I think that the key here is passion is infectious. So if you display and evoke passion, they're going to feel that if it's authentic and real, if you're not BSing them, which I hope people wouldn't do to be just to get save a few bucks on a card. But if you genuinely feel that passion, it'll come across. And I think you'll be surprised at how much room you can get on it. And I did, I bought cards from him. I finished a deal. I went around the corner. Oh, look at all this great stuff. I need this and this. And I ended up doing an even better deal on those. And those types of experiences really make a show for me where you can buy, get a lot of great stuff knocked off a checklist with one person that that's in it with you, that that's enjoying it along with you, that process. Cause so it, it's long days, man. And we were, Tired mamma jammas, weren't we, after every day of the show? Yeah, and to your point about the passion, I mean, passion is hard to fake. And most dealers that have done this for a long time, they're going to know if you're being real with them, you know? Yeah. They, they can see through a lot of the, you know, the BS type stuff where somebody's just trying to, you know, get a steal from them so they can go a couple tables down and sell it for more or something. As we finish up here, I want to tell 
Andy, what a great time. I got to spend the whole week with Andy. We, we roomed together at, in 2019. We roomed together in 2021. I think we're going to room together in 2022. Pretty That's sure. The That's the plan. We've already, we've already booked our accommodations for 2022 in, in Atlantic wow. City. Which, what, what kind of degenerates are we? We're crazy, I guess. I mean, we're like a couple of days removed from this show. And we're already making plans for next year. Hey, it gives us something to look forward to. And I think as collectors, that's always a good thing to have something to look forward to. And I'm super looking forward to it, seeing everybody at the show and experiencing it with so many great people that we've gotten to know. If you want to see all the cards that I got, go to YouTube. My channel is Baseball Collector there. Um, the podcasts are on bench clear media and I do a lot of other stuff on bench clear media, but my core collecting things. And when I talk about that, I do that on my kind of original channel, which is baseball collector, very, you know, creative title, baseball collector. It really uh, is. But uh, that's what I do. I collect baseball stuff. So that seemed reasonable, but go check those out. You can check out all the things I, I try to be very, transparent about the prices I pay for cards and what they were listed at because anybody wanted to look up what a card goes for, they can go do it. It's not like I'm, I'm holding any secret if I don't tell them, right? No, it, the knowledge is out there, um, especially in this day and age. For, for sure. sure. And on the flip side of Mike's story, if you want to go and hear about all the cards that I tried to buy at the national, you can go to my channel. She blinded me with refractors. And I have some funny stories about some cars that I attempted to buy at the national. Yeah. And that's a great point to finish on. You're not always going to find everything you want and that's okay. Um, especially, especially I cannot emphasize this point enough guys, especially if you're there sharing the experience with people who have the same passion about the hobby as you do, whether they're your friends from your hometown or your, your brothers, you know, your relatives, your mom, your, your dad, it enriches the experience more than I can possibly tell you to do it with people that you love. We've both, Andy and I have both been to shows before where we didn't know a whole lot of people. I can't even imagine doing a show like that. Now I would be bored out of my gourd, I think. And, and not that that's bad. Look, I'm not trying to say that going to a show, I going to a show is still pretty fun whether you're with other people or not, but man, it enriches the experience to share it with other people. Yeah. If you want to have the best experience possible then definitely, you know, become a member of the community and, you know, make friends, make those relationships because it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, even, even with the buying of cards, you know, you can get somebody else's opinion, like they can find the card that you're looking for, you know, like happened with you, Mike. So it just, I mean, it just makes everything better. I want to read a text that I got from a gentleman that I met at the show. His name is Chris and he's watched me on YouTube and listened to the podcast and stuff. So, uh, I never met him before. he never met me. He doesn't comment. I didn't know who he was and he came up to me and we shared some thoughts about the hobby and thoughts about everything. And I just enjoyed talking to him so much. And he said, Thanks for your time at the show. And he said, I had a wonderful time. 
Thursday night where he got to meet a lot of other fellow like-minded collectors and start making those connections like Andy's talking about. And he said, it makes collecting so much more fun. And it does. There's, that's the simplest statement you can say. It just makes collecting more, as fun as it is now, it's more fun with your friends, right? Funny story about that. If, if this is the same Chris that I'm thinking of, I actually met him as well at this show. And yeah, he actually watched one of our videos where we were talking about a particular card. And then the next day he went to that table and actually purchased it. <laughs> yeah. And now he got to meet the people that encouraged him to do that. Right. Um, it, this hobby is great, right? We've, we've both made great friends, probably lifelong friends at this point through this hobby. So, connect somehow with somebody find that that group that you mesh with and i had some people tell me man i don't want to go to the show because i'm i'm kind of socially awkward or uh you know I, i'm kind of an introvert well we're also <laughs> we collect baseball cards for crying out loud are we <laughs> like you're gonna find somebody you can connect with i promise and it's it's just a community that's very welcoming and everybody likes what people do so appreciates what other people do and how they collect so come out of your shell i'm encouraging people to come out of their shell and go do these things because you won't miss you won't you will not regret it I, I cannot imagine a scenario where you would regret doing that and reaching out and branching out a little bit agreed is that sam and andy absolutely and you know, once again, just thanks to everybody out there, like all of our friends that we already knew, people that we met this past week, like Chris was a great guy, um, very enthusiastic. He was, I mean, he was just having the time of his life there. And it's, that's part of the experience too, is just seeing other people enjoy themselves and, um, I get just as excited like watching you or Josh or Eric or any of our friends pick up a big car. That's to me, that's big to watch, you know, just to see, see the joy that it brings. And to me, that's, yeah, that's part of it. I totally feel the same way. And what a great note to end on Andy. Thanks for being on the show again. It's about bloody time. I had you back on. It's, that's my own fault. You know, you're kind of like you just need to ask right and uh <laughs> it's sure great yeah it's, it's great to have you and hey guys out there if you have any questions leave them down below in the comments if you're on youtube watching uh if you have questions or comments or thoughts about this episode you can go to my instagram which is baseball collector mike send me a pm i'd love to talk to you I'd love to chat with you and uh We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. What should people out there do? Keep collecting. Amen to that.